Good morning, everyone. My name is Stephen, and the second Bible reading will be taken from Genesis chapter 39. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles, you can follow me as I read the passage. Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted him to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left the cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She clipped his cloak beside her until her master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left the cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard of the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison 
and, is and was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Thanks, Stephen. And uh, good morning again, everyone. I really do wish you could have seen it at the front here. Uh, I had my eyes closed as well, of course, but every now and again I peeked. These eyes screwed shut as they were concentrating so hard on the Word of God. And I take it right there's a lesson for us even now, right? Let's pray that God will enable us to concentrate hard on his Word to us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray, please help us work hard to hear your voice. Please work in us by your Spirit that we would. Please show us the wonder of our Lord Jesus. Please work in us that we might obey him. I pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, we start with a poem, okay? a poem by Adrian Plass, uh, a poem that I love. It goes like this. When I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, Amen, I think. I think, Amen. Amen, I think. I think I say, Amen. I'm not completely sure. Can, can you just run through that again? You say my body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Well, well yes, that sounds terrific. Lord, I say, Amen, I think. But Lord... There must be other ways to follow you, I said. I, I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said, you could put up with sneers and scorn and spit. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen. A bit. A bit, amen, amen, a bit. A, a bit, amen, I said. I, I'm not entirely sure. Can we just run through that again? You say I could put up with sneers and also scorn and spit. Well, yes, I've made my mind up. I say amen a bit. Well, I sat back and thought a while and I tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said, the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You'll need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, Amen, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say Amen. I, I need to get it clear. Can we just run through that again? You, you say that I will need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, I think I've got it straight. I'll say Amen tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you, not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, Amen. I quit. The insistence of the Bible from beginning to end 
is that to follow Christ is to live and give your life for Him. Not sometimes, part-time and when it seems to make sense, but come what may, no matter the cost, total lifelong obedience. And my question is, can I trust Him? Can I trust Him with all of my life? And especially since, as we heard in that poem, and we see even more clearly in the Bible, the promise of God is that while life with Him is always better, the very best life to have, life with Him will be harder while we wait for Jesus' return. And while the future we're promised is perfection and glory, now will include effort and loss. And my question is, can I trust him? Trust enough to count the cost. Trust that he truly cares. And in particular, trust his promise to bless, however unlikely that seems. See, I think that's the question we're supposed to be asking as we come to Genesis chapter 39 today. After all, if anyone had reason to ask that question, it's Joseph, isn't it? You remember the story so far? Hated, kidnapped, sold, taken there. Did you see verse 1? Do you have it open there in verse 1? Taken. Against his will. Bought, verse 1, as a slave. And you can just imagine, can't you, the confusion and the doubt of Joseph. I thought I was part of your plan. I thought you cared for me. And now this. And maybe you have felt that too. Maybe you're feeling it now. Well, so it must have been for Joseph. Any had reason to doubt God's care and his promise to him, at the start of this chapter, it's Joseph. And yet, as our story goes on, do you see there, verse 2, that the mood suddenly turns. You know, our hopes are suddenly raised. Do you see there, verse 2? The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. So even as Joseph is far from home, God's not far from him. Instead, we're told, as we, as we heard in that kid's talk, God is with Joseph, even in slavery, even in Egypt. And actually, I think it has even more significance than that here in the book of Genesis. Why? Well, because I wonder if you knew, and as best as I can tell, the only other people in the entire book of Genesis with whom God is also said to be with, just as he's here with Joseph, who are they? Genesis 21, Abraham. Genesis 26, Isaac. Genesis 28, Jacob. And so you see here in Genesis 39 verse 2, we're not just being told that God is with Joseph, just as he is with all God's people, as wonderful and amazing as that is. Now here I think as as God is with Joseph, Joseph is identified, just as he was with the coat, just as he was with the dreams, as the next in the line of the promise. That is, this is the one through whom the blessing will come. At least in the context of Genesis, in God's salvation plan. 
After all, do you remember the promise? Genesis chapter 22, God speaking to Abraham. Um, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And that's what Potiphar gets. Did you see there from verse 3? Verse 3, when, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted everything to his care. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The, the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had both in the house and in the field. I don't know about you, and I don't know if you know the Narnia stories, but it reminds me of the wonderful scene in the Narnia stories, do you know the ones, where, where the snow suddenly melts, and, and the spring suddenly comes, and life completely blooms, and why? Well, because Aslan is back, and therefore so too is the spring, and all of the blessings he brings, and well, so it is here, did you see? When the one God's with enters your life, so do the blessings of God. When you give all you have to the one God's with, you get all the blessings of God. Reminds me of uh, this month's memory verse, uh, don't you think? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. How? In Christ. That is, in and through this one, God's with. And so you see already in, in the Joseph story, given all that God asks and all that costs and all he offers to those who are his, can we trust him? Enough to count the cost? Enough to know he cares? Can we trust his promise to bless, however unlikely it seems? Well, as Genesis chapter 39 begins, we see the answer is yes. Here's what we're learning so far. God will keep his promise to bless, however unlikely that seems. God will keep his promise to bless through the man he's with. And as Joseph's story goes on, we, we see it's not just through the man he's with, but even more than that, even more particularly, it's, it's through his costly obedience and the terrible cost that brings. As our story goes on there in verse 60, you see, it, it takes a dangerous turn. Uh, Joseph the slave, the one bought and sold, is, is repeatedly, ruthlessly seduced. See it again, verse 6, verse 6. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself for anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and, and sin against God? 
uh, in their really wonderful book on pornography, a book called Captured by a Better Vision. Uh, the authors describe the three A's that, that make that particular, particular sexual sin so powerful and enticing. Do you know what they are? Accessible. It's yours if you want it. Anonymous. No one need know. Affordable. There's so little cost. And, and so it is he with Joseph, isn't it? As Potiphar's wife comes to him, what does she say? She says, I'm yours if you want me. Accessible. No one need know, anonymous, with no cost to you, affordable. And he must have been lonely, tired, frustrated. He's so far from home. It's not like he has any other prospects. I mean, if it's not her, then who? It's not like he doesn't deserve it. Look at his life so far. And besides, he didn't start it. You know, she came to him. I mean, what's a person to do? You... It must have been so easy to justify, mustn't it? After all, from what we heard last week with Judah, Judah would have done it, right? And then some. It reminds me of God's wonderful promise in the New Testament. Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10? No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But boy, this must have come close, mustn't it? I mean, right to the edge of what he could bear. And yet what does Joseph do? Rather than sin, he speaks. Did you see? He speaks God's word both to himself and to her. He names the sin for what it is, wicked. You know, no matter what she might say or even he might feel, no matter what our world says, or perhaps even we might feel, even when it comes to sex. If God says it's wicked, then it is. And so how could I do it, he says there in verse 9. You see, how could I betray my master? But both my human master Potiphar, who's given me so much, and my, my heavenly master God, whom I live to please. Don't tell me nobody sees, he says. Don't tell me no one need know. God sees. God knows. And that's enough for me. And actually, I wonder how many times he had to say it. As we're told there, verse 1, did you see verse 10? Uh, sorry, verse 10, did you see there verse 10? As day after day after day she comes... And still he refuses and refuses and refuses. And actually not just to the kind of act itself, did you see, but, but there at the end of verse 10, to, to not even with toying with it or flirting with it or seeing how close you could get without being burnt. You see there it says, he refused, it says, even to be with her. 
And maybe that's what prepared him there for verse 13. When the final test comes. And there they are alone and she throws herself upon him, verse 12, and says, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. 1 Corinthians 6, God commands his people, do you remember, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And that's what Joseph does, doesn't he? Actually, really great strength and great courage. He flees. And that's what it's like, isn't it? I think with all sorts of sin, but particularly sexual sin, it takes such strength and such courage to flee. Strength to turn off the screen. Courage to just say, stop, enough, no more, no further. And you can feel so foolish, so prudish, especially if you care for them and you think they care for you. But as the verses goes on, it becomes abundantly clear that Potiphar's wife does not care for Joseph. Right? If she can't have him, no one else will. If you won't give in, then she'll make him pay. You know, we were chatting about this in our growth group uh, last week and, and we marveled together at how quick she turns... You notice that in the verses, you know, from loving to hating, kind of longing to hurting. And we wondered together, is it because she's humiliated? You know, her, her sexual advances rebuffed? Is it for self-protection? So she gets in with her side of the story first. Or is it instead simply because there's actually no turn at all? No flip, no change, no snap. After all, it wasn't love she felt for Joseph, was it? It wasn't care she wanted for him. After all, nobody who truly cares for you will push and push and push you to do with your body what you don't want to do. And no one who deliberately loves you, no one who desperately loves you will deliberately draw you to sin. There's no turn or change for Potiphar's wife. She was selfish at the start. She's selfish at the end. She was hurtful at the start. She's hurtful at the end. And so Joseph's wonderful godly obedience, it comes at a terrible cost. And actually, some of us here know what that cost is like, don't you? Where because of your costly, godly obedience, you have paid a terrible price. In reputation, slandered relationships attacked, lies told, even life threatened. And maybe it seemed to you then, as surely it seems to Joseph now, like your godly obedience is pointless or, or that nobody saw or cared, but, 
I think one of the things I really love about this story is that we see that's not true. Not for Joseph then, not for us now. See, one of the things we saw so wonderfully last week was that God mercifully loves to use the broken in his plans to save the world. Then surely one of the things we learned this week is that God also loves to use our godliness no matter how costly it is. Your godly obedience is never a waste of time. And it's always, always remembered by the God who we live for. Certainly that's how it was for Joseph, wasn't it? Here God sees, God remembers. In fact, he even writes it down and shows it to us. And not just that, and actually I think even more important in this whole Joseph story, God uses Joseph's obedience and the cost it brings to advance his saving plan and his wonderful promise to bless. After all, humanly speaking, it's actually the cost of Joseph's obedience that moves God's plan along, isn't it? Do you see there verse 20? Verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison to the place where the king's prisoners were confined. What we're going to see as the story goes on is exactly where God wants him to be. And actually exactly where God's people need him to be. And so our chapter ends there, do you see, at the end in many ways, just like the way it began, do you see? Well, except with Joseph even lower still, you know, from kidnapped to enslaved and now imprisoned. And God's salvation nearer still. Actually, because he is those things. Verse 20 continues, see verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And so we ask again, do you see, can we trust our God? Trust him enough to count the cost. And trust even then that he cares. And especially, more particularly, can we trust his promise to bless? However unlikely that seems. Well, the answer we see from Genesis chapter 39 is yes. Why? Well, because there we see God keeps his promise to bless. Here is what I think is the point of the chapter. However unlikely that seems, through the one he's with and his costly obedience and the terrible cost that brings. And praise God that for us, not only do we see that in Joseph, but I think in his life and the pattern it sets, we see what God will do for us in Christ. Through Jesus, that one who is fully with God. You know what did our first reading say? The Son, the Beloved, well pleased. Through Jesus, that one who was tempted like us and yet obeyed where you and I failed. 
Through Jesus, that one who obeyed to the cross and secured God's blessing for us. Can we trust our God? Yes. Because of this, because of him. And so the question is, will we? Even when it hurts or it's hard or when sin just seems so, so attractive. Because we see what God has done through Jesus' obedience and his cross. Will we trust our wonderful God with every part of our lives? Well, uh, we began our time with that poem from Adrian Plass. Here's how it ends. With just a couple of edits from me, I should confess. Here's how it ends. I'm very sorry, Lord, I said. I'd like to follow you. But I don't think religion is a manly thing to do. He said, forget religion then and think about my son. Tell me if you trust enough to follow him alone. Do you trust enough to see the need and trust enough to go? Trust enough to care for those whom no one wants to know? Trust enough to say the thing that people hate to hear, to battle through Gethsemane and loneliness and fear? And tell me, do you trust enough to stand it at the end, the moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend? Do you trust enough to hold your tongue, trust enough to cry? When nails break your body, do you trust enough to die? Trust enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown. Trust enough to love the world and turn it upside down. Do you trust enough to follow me? I ask you once again. I said, O Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, amen, amen. I said, O Lord, I'm frightened. But then I said, Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for being so wonderfully trustworthy. Thank you, Father, for the story of Joseph, seeing how you keep your promise to bless through the one you are with and through his costly obedience at terrible cost. We thank you so much more for the story and truth and message and joy of Jesus, this one you are with, who through his godly obedience And the terrible cost it brought as he died on the cross shows us how trustworthy you are and guarantees your blessing for us. Heavenly Father, would you work in our life that we would trust him and trust you with every single part of our life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.